Chapter Five of Starborn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Starborn by Andre Norton. Chapter Five. Banded Devil. Familiar only with wave-riding outriggers, Dalgard took his seat in the alien craft with misgivings, and oddly enough it also bothered him to occupy a post which earlier had served not a non-human such as Tsuri, whom he admired, but a humanoid whom he had been taught from childhood to avoid, if not fear. The skiff was rounded at bow and stern with very shallow sides, and displayed a tendency to whirl about in the current until Tsutsuri, with his instinctive knowledge of watercraft, used one of the queerly shaped paddles tucked away in the bottom to both steer and propel them. They did not strike directly across the river, but allowed the current to carry them in a diagonal path, so that they came out on the opposite bank some distance to the west. Tsutsuri brought them ashore with masterly skill, where a strip of sod angled down to the edge of the water, marking, Dalgard decided, what had once been a garden. The buildings on this side of the river were not set so closely together. Each, standing some two or three stories high, was encircled by green, as if this had been a section of private dwellings. They pulled the light boat out of the water, and Tsutsuri pointed at the open door of the nearest house. In there. Dalgard agreed that it might be well to hide the craft against the return. Although as yet they had found no physical evidence, other than the dead hoppers, that they might not be alone in the city, he wanted a means of escape ready if such a flight would be necessary. In the meantime there was the snake-devil to track, and that wily creature, if it had swum the river, might be lurking at present in the next silent street, or miles away. Tsutsuri, spear ready, was trotting along the paved lane his head up as he thought-quested for any hint of life about them. Dalgard tried to follow that lead, but he knew that it would be Tsutsuri's stronger power which would warn them first. They cast east from where they had landed, studying the soil of each garden spot, hunting for the unmistakable spoor of the giant reptile. And within a matter of minutes they found it, the mud still moist as Dalgard proved with an exploring fingertip. At the same time Tsutsuri twirled his spear significantly. Before them the lane ran on between two walls without any breaks. Dalgard uncased his bow and strung it. From his quiver he chose one of the powerful arrows, the points of which were kept capped until use. A snake-devil, with its nervous system controlled not from the tiny, brainless head, but from a series of auxiliary brains at points along its powerful spine, could and would go on fighting even after that head was shorn away, as the first colonists had discovered when they depended on the deadly ray-guns fatal to any Terran life. But the poison-tipped arrow Dalgard now handled, with confidence in its complete efficiency, paralyzed within moments, and killed in a quarter-hour one of the scaled monstrosities. Lair. Dalgard did not need that warning thought from his companion. There was no mistaking that sickly sweet stench, born of decaying animal matter, which was the betraying effluvium of a snake-devil's lair. He turned to the right-hand wall and with a running leap reached its broad top. 
The lane curved to end in an archway cut through another wall, which was higher than Dalgard's head even when he stood on his present elevation. But bands of ornamental patterning ran along the taller barrier, and he was certain that it could be climbed. He lowered a hand to Tsutsuri and hoisted the merman up to join him. But Tsutsuri stood for a long moment looking ahead, and Dalgard knew that the merman was disturbed, that the wall before them had some terrifying meaning for the native Astron. So vivid was the impression of what could only be termed horror that Dalgard dared to ask a question. What is it? The merman's yellow eyes turned from the wall to his companion. Behind his hatred of this place there was another emotion Dalgard could not read. This is the place of sorrow, the place of separation. But they paid, oh, how they paid, after that day when the fire fell from the sky. His scaled and taloned feet moved in a little shuffling war-dance, and his spear spun and quivered in the sunlight, as Delgard had seen the spears of the mer-warriors move in the mock combats of their unexplained, and to his kind unexplainable, rituals. Then did our spears drink, and knives eat. Tsutsuri's fingers brushed the hilt of the wicked blade swinging from his belt. Then did the people make separations and sorrows for them, and it was accomplished that we went forth into the sea to be no longer bond, but free, and they went down into the darkness and were no more. In Dalgard's head the chant of his friend skirled up in a paean of exultation. Tsutsuri shook his spear at the wall. No more the beast and the death, his thoughts swelled, a shout of victory. For where are they who sat and watched many deaths? They are gone, as the wave smashes itself upon the coast rocks and is no more. But the people are free, and never more shall those others put bonds upon them. Therefore do I say that this is a place of nothing, where evil has turned in upon itself and come to nothing just as those others will come to nothing since their own evil will in the end eat them up. He strode forward along the wall, until he came to the barrier, seemingly oblivious of the carrion reek which told of a snake-devil's den somewhere about. And he raised his arm high, bringing the point of his spear gratingly along the carved surface. Nor did it seem to Dalgard a futile gesture, for Tsutsuri lived and breathed, stood free and armed in the city of his enemies, and the city was dead. Together they climbed the barrier, and then Dalgard discovered that it was the rim of an arena which must have seated close to a thousand in the days of its use. It was a perfect oval in shape, with tiers of seats now forming a staircase down to the centre, where there was a section ringed about by a series of archways. A high stone grille walled this portion away from the seats, as if to protect the spectators from what might enter through those portals. Dalgard noted all this only in passing, for the arena was occupied, very much occupied, and he knew the occupiers only too well. Three full-grown snake-devils were stretched at pulpy ease, their filled bellies obscenely round, their long necks crowned with their tiny heads flat on the sand as they napped. A pair of half-grown monsters, not yet past the six-foot stage, tore at some indescribable remnants of their elders' feasting,
hissing at each other and aiming vicious blows whenever they came with impossible fighting distance. Three more, not long out of their mother's pouches, scrabbled in the earth about the sleeping adults. "'A good catch,' Dalgard signaled Tsutsuri, and the merman nodded. They climbed down from seat to seat. This could not rightfully be turned hunting, when the quarry might be picked off so easily without risk to the archer. But as Dalgard notched his first arrow, he sighted something so surprising that he did not let the poisoned dart fly. The nearest sleeping reptile, which he had selected as his mark, stretched lazily without raising its head or opening its small eyes, and the sun caught on a glistening band about its short foreleg just beneath the joint of the taloned paw-hands. No natural scales could reflect the light with such a brilliant glare. It could be only one thing. Metal. A metal bracelet about the tearing arm of a snake-devil. Dalgard looked at the other two sleepers. One was lying on its belly with its forearms gathered under it, so that it could not see if it also were so equipped. But the other. Yes, it was banded. Tsutsuri stood at the grill one hand on its stone divisions. His surprise equaled Dalgard's. It was not in his experience either that the untamed snake-devils, regarded by merman and human alike as so dangerous as to be killed on sight, could be banded as if they were personal pets. For a moment or two a wild idea crossed Dalgard's mind. How long was the natural lifespan of a snake-devil? Until the coming of the colonists they had been the undisputed rulers of the deserted continent, stupid as they were, simply because of their strength and ferocity. A twelve-foot, scale-armored monster, that could tear apart a duocorn with ease, might not be successfully vanquished by any of the fauna of Astra. And since the monsters did not venture into the sea, Contact between them and the mermen had been limited to casual encounters at rare intervals. So, how long did a snake-devil live? Were these creatures sprawled here in sleep, ones that had known the domination of those others? Though the fall of the master race of Astra must have occurred generations, hundreds of years in the past? No, Tsutsuri's denial cut through that. The smaller one is not yet full-grown. It lacks the second neck ring, yet it is banded. The merman was right. That unpleasant waddle of armored flesh which necklaced the serpent throat of the devil Dalgard had picked as his target was thin, not the thick roll of fat such as distinguished its two companions. It was not fully adult, yet the band was plain to see on the foreleg now stretched to its full length as the sun bored down to supply the heavy heat the snake-devils relished next to food. Then, Dalgard did not like to think of what might be the answer to that then. Tsutsuri shrugged. It is plain that these are not wild roamers. They are here for a purpose, and that purpose... Suddenly his arm shot out, so that his fingers protruded through the slits in the stone grill. See? Dalgard had already seen. In seeing he knew hot and terrible anger. Out of the filthy mess in which the snake-devils wallowed, something had rolled, perhaps thrown about in play by the unspeakable offspring. A skull, dried scraps of fur and flesh still clinging to it, stared hollow-eyed up at them. 
at least one merman had fallen prey to the nightmares who ruled the arena. Tsitsuri hissed, and the red rage in his mind was plain to Dalgard. Once more they deal death here. His eyes went from the skull to the monsters. Kill! The command was imperative and sharp. Dalgard had qualified as a master bowman before he had first gone roving, and the killing of snake-devils was a task which had been set every colonist since their first brush with the creatures. He snapped the cap off the glass splinter-point, designed to pin and then break off in the hide so that any clawing foot which tore out an arrow could not rid the victim of the poisonous head. The archer's mark was made under the throat, where the scales were soft, and there was a chance of piercing the skin with the first shot. The growls of the two feeding youngsters covered the snap of the bow-cord as Dalgard shot, and he did not miss. The brilliant scarlet feather of the arrow quivered in the baggy roll of flesh. With a scream which tore at the human's eardrums, the snake-devil reared to its hind feet. It made a tearing motion with the banded forearm which scraped across the back of one of its companions, and then it fell back to the blood-stained sand, limp, a greenish foam drooling from its fangs. As the monster that the dead devil had raked roused, Dalgard had his chance for another good mark, and the second scarlet shaft sped straight to the target. But the third creature which had been sleeping belly down on the sand presented only its armored back, a hopeless surface for an arrow to pierce. It had opened its eyes and was watching the now motionless bodies of its fellows. But it showed no disposition to move. It was almost as if it somehow understood that as long as it remained in its present position it was safe. The small ones. Dalgard needed no prompting. He picked off easily enough the two half-grown ones. The infants were another problem. Far less sluggish than their huge elders, they sensed that they were in danger, and fled. One took refuge in the pouch of its now-dead parent, and the others moved so fast that Dalgard found them difficult targets. He killed one which had almost reached an archway, and at length nicked the second in the foot, knowing that, while the poison would be slower in acting, it would be as sure. Through all this the third adult devil continued to lie motionless, only its wicked eyes giving any indication that it was alive. Dalgard watched it impatiently. Unless it would move, allow him a chance to aim at the soft underparts, there was little chance of killing it. What followed startled both hunters, versed as they were in the usual mechanics of killing snake-devils. It had been an accepted premise, through the years since the colonists had known of the monsters, that the creatures were relatively brainless, mere machines which fought, ate, and killed, incapable of any intelligent reasoning, and therefore only dangerous when one was surprised by them, or when the hunter was forced to face them inadequately armed. This snake-devil was different, as it became increasingly plain to the two behind the grill. It had remained safe during the slaughter of its companions because it had not moved almost as if it had wit enough not to move. And now, when it did change position, its manoeuvres, simple as they were, underlined the fact that this one creature appeared to have thought out a solution to its situation, as rational a solution as Dalgard might have produced had it been his problem. Still keeping its soft underparts covered, 
it edged about in the sand until its back, with the impenetrable armor plates, was facing the grill behind which the hunter stood. Retracting its neck between its shoulders and hunching its powerful back limbs under it, it rushed from that point of danger straight for one of the archways. Dalgard sent an arrow after it, only to see the shaft scrape along the heavy scales and bounce to the sand. Then the snake-devil was gone. Banded, the word reached Dalgard. Tsutsuri had been cool enough to note that, while the human hunter had been only bewildered by the untypical actions of his quarry. It must be intelligent. The scout's statement was more than half protest. Where they are concerned, one may expect many evil wonders. We've got to get that devil, Dalgard was determined on that, though to run down through this maze of deserted city an enraged snake-devil, above all, a snake-devil which appeared to have some reasoning powers, was not a prospect to arouse any emotion except grim devotion to duty. It goes for help. Dalgard, startled, stared at his companion. Tsutsuri was still by the grill, watching that archway through which the devil had disappeared. What kind of help? For a moment Dalgard pictured the monster returning at the head of a regiment of its kind, able to tear out this grill and get at their soft-fleshed enemies behind it. Safety. Protection, Tsutsuri told him, and I think that the place to which it now flees is one we should know. Those others? The sun had not clouded. It still streamed down in the torrid heat of early afternoon, warm on their heads and shoulders, yet Delgard felt as chill as if some autumn wind had laid its lash across the small of his back. They are not here, but they have been, and it is possible that they return. The devil goes to where it expects to find them. Tsutsuri was already on his way, running about the arena's curve to reach the point above the archway through which the snake-devil had raced. Dalgard padded after him, bow in hand. He trusted Tsutsuri implicitly when it came to tracking. If the merman said that the snake-devil had a definite goal in view, he was right. But the scout was still a little bemused by a monster who was able to have any goal except the hunting and devouring of meat. Either the one who fled was a freak among its kind, or... There were several possibilities which could answer that or, and none of them were very pleasant to consider. They reached the section above the archway and climbed the tiers of seat benches to the top of the wall only to see no exit below them. In fact, nothing but a wide sweep of crushed brown tangle which had once been vegetation. It was apparent that there was no door below. Tsutsuri sped down again. He climbed the grill and was on his way to the sand when Dalgard caught up with him. Together they ventured into the underground passage which the snake-devil had chosen. The stench of the lair was thick about them. Dalgard coughed sickened by the foul odor. He was reluctant to advance. But, to his growing relief, he discovered that it was not entirely dark. Set in the roof at intervals were plates which gave out a violet light, making a dim twilight which was better than total darkness. It was a straight passage without any turns or openings, but the horrible odor was constant, and Dalgard began to think that they might be running head-on into another lair, 
perhaps one as well populated as that they had left behind them. It was against nature for the snake-devils he had known to lair under cover. They preferred narrow rocky places where they could bask in the sun. But then the devil they now pursued was no ordinary one. Tsutsuri reassured him. There is no lair, only the smell because they have come this way for many years. The passage opened into a wide room, and here the violet light was stronger, bright enough to make plain the fact that alcoves opened off it, each and every one with a barred grill for a door. There was no mistaking that once this had been a prison of sorts. Tsutsuri did no exploring, but crossed the room at his shuffling trot, which Dalgard matched. The way leading out on the opposite side slanted up, and he judged it might bring them out at ground level. The devil waits, Tsutsuri warned, because it fears. It will turn on us when we come. Be ready. They were at another door, and before them was a long corridor with tall window openings near the ceiling which gave admittance to the sunlight. After the gloom of the tunnel, Dalgard blinked, but he was aware of movement at the far end, just as he heard the hissing scream of the monster they trailed. End of chapter.